We're hurting and despairing, wrestling with life in a culture opposed to Jesus. Storm clouds are mounting on the horizon as marginalization increases. We need hope, reminders of what is true, instructions for how to persevere. We must remain resilient. Um, everybody I talk to at some point who's a follower of Jesus will say something like this. You know, Josh, I don't know that the world has ever been this bad. Like, I don't know that culture has ever been this antagonistic against God. Um, I don't know that it's ever been this hard to follow Jesus. I don't know if it's ever been this hard to have faith. And maybe you've felt this. Maybe if you're a student, you have walk the halls of your middle school and high school, and you've wondered, man, am I the only one that holds these values? Am I the only one that is trying to live this way? Or maybe in your office, you know, you sit in, you sit in meetings and you hear the way people talk, you hear the values that they talk about, and you think, man, am I the only one who, who holds these? Am I the only one that lives this way? And, and you feel this pressure to fit in. You feel this pressure to be like everybody else, to act like everybody else. You feel this pressure as well if people push against your values, that you feel this pressure that you have to push back as hard as they push against you. But the question is, and this is what we're gonna look at today and throughout this series, is today the hardest time in history to follow Jesus? Like has the world ever been as opposed to God as it is today? Now, in our cultural moment, sitting where we are, many times we think this is the worst it's ever been. It's never been this bad. And this is why if you were sitting across the table with a guy named Daniel in the Old Testament, he would look at you with a, probably a nice smile and say, it's actually been worse. You're like, no, 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 but let me tell you, let me tell you what happened this week. And this is why I think we need the perspective of people in Scripture. Now, if you have a church background, you've heard the story of Daniel. It's one that, especially as a child, you hear in kids' church. And if you, if you just look back on, on sermons you've heard about Daniel or what you heard in, in Sunday school growing up, you would think that Daniel's like an adventure story. Right, here's this guy who gets taken, you know, prisoner, and, and he stands up for his faith, and then it gets really hard, and, and a few of his friends get thrown into a fiery furnace, but don't worry, Daniel 3, they just, they get saved. God steps in and saves them. And then, you know, it, it gets a little bit harder for Daniel, and he, and he stands up again for his faith, and Daniel 6, he gets thrown into the lion's den, but, but no one eats him. And so here's the lesson that I heard my whole life from the book of Daniel, and it's faulty thinking, and it's this. If you just have enough faith, God won't let anything bad happen to you. And we have this idea then, as we read through the book of Daniel, where, where if we just think, well, if I do the right thing, if I, if I have enough belief, if I believe the right things, God will just totally protect me. And yet here's the problem. Do you know that throughout history, we know from the Babylonian history that we're gonna look at, is that Thousands of people were fed to the lions, and only one didn't get eaten. Thousands of people, 
Nebuchadnezzar put into the fiery furnace and only a few walked out unscathed. And so as we navigate this culture, here's what we're gonna look at. There's this really popular word right now and it's this word that we're using coming out of the pandemic and you hear it on podcasts and all kinds of articles and it's this idea of resilience. And the word resilient carries this idea of being able to bounce back quickly of being able to withstand difficulty. Now, if you think about our moment right now, that's what we all need coming out of the pandemic. So we all need as we kind of navigate our cultural moment and the, the division within our, within our country. But what Daniel shows us is that what it looks like to have a resilient faith that thrives and not just survives a culture, but actually thrives in a culture. Now, before we dive in, here's what I wanna ask you to do. I wanna ask you to do something that maybe you haven't done in church before and it's gonna be okay. I wanna ask you to pull out your phone for a second. Okay, I wanna ask you to pull out your phone. And up on the screen, you're gonna see a QR code and you're also gonna see a number. So you can take a picture of the QR code. If you don't know how to do that, you could ask you know, somebody that, that's 10 years old sitting next to you how to do a QR code, um, or you can text the number, and here's what's gonna happen when you scan the QR code. It's gonna take you to a, to a page, and it's gonna ask you one simple question. And here's how I want us to start as we think about this series. And it's this question of, what makes it hard right now to have a resilient faith? What makes it hard in your world to have a resilient faith? It might be school, it might be education, it might be, it, it might be a boss at work, it might be teachers, Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's something totally different. But in your world right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, what makes it hard to have a resilient faith? What makes it hard for you to hold on to the things that you truly believe in? What makes it hard to, to stand up? See, so we're gonna come back to your answers throughout this series because we wanna see What's hard? Because the reality is, it's not easy. It's not easy to follow after Jesus. And, and, and we're naive if we think that this is the hardest it's ever been, because it's not. If you read throughout church history, you know again and again that for the people of God who followed after Jesus, who, who strive to live out faithful lives to what he called us to, they ended up in fiery furnaces. They ended up being fed to lions. They ended up being crucified on roadsides. Only one of Jesus's original 12 disciples died of old age. And yet, we have this idea in our culture, we have this idea that following Jesus will simply just be roses and rainbows. It's gonna be easy. It's gonna be just downhill, both ways. And yet, what scripture teaches us again and again is that when it gets hard, we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said numerous places, when you're persecuted, not if, he said, don't be surprised when it happens. And so as we think about how to have a resilient faith, we're gonna spend the next six weeks just walking through the first six chapters of Daniel. And I think it's gonna surprise us, it surprises me, some of the things that Daniel does and the things that Daniel doesn't do. Okay, so here's the context of where this story starts in Daniel chapter one, verse one. It says, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, 
King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. And so immediately we get the context of Daniel. This is important, okay? Daniel, as we're going to see throughout this book, Daniel writes the book of Daniel at the end of his life looking back. Okay, so Daniel talks about how, and Daniel lived about 600 BC. So King Jehoiakim, and, and we know from other Old Testament books that the, that the nation of Israel is just living against God. They're worshiping other gods. They're living outside of the way that God commanded them to live. And so God sends prophet after prophet after prophet and says, hey, if you don't listen, if you don't move back to what God has commanded you to, you're gonna lead to destruction. And the people of God just say, you know what? We're just gonna keep doing what we wanna do. You know, we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep, you know, making the decisions we want to make. And this is a lot like our culture. Our cultural narrative is one of like, hey, whatever you want to do. If it works for you, that's great. If it's true for you, that's great. Just be you. Be true to yourself. This is the cultural narrative that we have. And as followers of Jesus, we really can fall into this really quickly. We can start to, like, I'll talk to so many people, especially, like, in high school and young adults who, who are just say, you know what, I, I like this part of Christianity, I like, oh, this was really cool, in Buddhism, and I like this over here, and I'm kind of, like, bringing my smorgasbord of faith together to come up with what I like and fits me. Or we'll take this from pop psychology and this from culture and then like what we think and this thing from politics and we'll sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top and be like, it's gotta be okay. And so it's very easy for us, it's very easy as a follower of Jesus to like kind of fold your arms and like stand in judgment of the culture around us and yet we do exactly what everybody else does. We do exactly what the people of God did for centuries where they said, you know what, like we're just gonna do what we want, we're gonna worship, you know, we'll worship God, but well, then we're also going to have this idol. And so finally, look what it says. This is incredible. The Lord handed them over. Hands them over. And so Babylon conquers Judah. And they take not only the people, but they take the vessels from the temple. Now, in this cultural moment, what happens when you conquer somebody is not only do you take people captive as prisoners, but then you also take things out of their temple and put them in your temple to signify not only have you conquered them, but you have conquered their God. And so Nebuchadnezzar takes these things and he puts them in his temple. Verse four, it says that the king took the young men without any physical defect, good looking, suitable for instruction, in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and the literature. And so Nebuchadnezzar brings back like the, the cream of the crop. Notice what it says, the good looking, knowledgeable, perceptive, learned. Some historians believe that Daniel was part of the royal family. Now here's why you do this. You, what Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he's bringing in the cream of the crop from Judah so that he just wipes out the culture of Judah, he wipes out their learning, he wipes out their religion, and he's able to grow the commerce of Babylon. When this happens in a culture, this ends so many cultures throughout history. This is Nebuchadnezzar's plan. He brings them in to teach them the Babylonian culture, the language, the religion, the values, and the customs. 
which would also include the preparation that Daniel and his friends are going through, is to become enchanters and magicians and practicing the dark arts of the occult. Okay, so this is what Daniel, now again, God hands them over for this. Which, I don't know about you, but I have some questions about that for God. Like, was it that bad? Was it that bad? And then I have some questions for the people of God. Like, why didn't you listen before this? Like, what, what, what in the world? How did you miss all of the signs? Well, let's be honest for a second. We do the same thing. We feel a conviction come in and we're like, ah, oh, you know, I'll, I'll just push that aside for a second, you know, because like this feels good what I'm doing. Like, I want to keep moving forward with this. I deserve this. Like, I should have this. You know, I don't, I don't want to be passed over because of my faith. I don't want to be made fun of or left out because of my faith. And so, I'll just, and so very easily, we start to make decisions. And we end up in a place that surprises us, but yet it's the place that we were going all along. Now, here's the thing, too, that's really hard. Daniel and his friends, I mean, they're teenagers. They didn't spend a lifetime like everybody else. They just spent a lifetime against God. They're getting stuck in the shrapnel of other people's decisions. They weren't, they weren't the ones that numerous prophets came to. Their parents and their grandparents are the ones that ignored the prophets. Daniel and his friends are the ones that are just getting stuck with other people's decisions. And so when Daniel gets to Babylon then, we're told that they're gonna spend three years being taught and being with the goal of taking everything that they know out of their heads and out of their hearts, to be taught an entirely new culture. Now, I want you to imagine this for a second, okay? If you're a parent or a grandparent, I want you to imagine the thing, the education that would cause you to grab your kids out of school and say, you're never going back. And then I want you to multiply that by about 100. And that's the education that Daniel and his friends are getting. Like, we skip over this part. We, we just kind of go, oh, yeah, like, you know, he's being educated and, you know, okay. No, I mean, they are being educated in everything that is antagonistic against God. Not only that, look at verse seven. The chief eunuch gave them new names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel and Shadrach to Hananiah and Meshach to Michelle and Abednego to Azariah. There's a lot of names. So in changing their names, here's what they're doing as well. They're also signifying their ownership of them. They're trying to take everything out of their culture. Daniel's name, the, the name Daniel means God is my judge. But the name that he's given is Bel's prince. Now, Bel is the title for Babylon's god, Marduk. Now, this would be the equivalent of having, you know, your name be Christian and them saying, no, no, we're gonna make it Satan's prince. That's the equivalent of this. Okay? This is as bad as it gets, right? I mean, how, how could it get worse? 
Now, to fully understand how the culture that they're walking into, we have to understand Babylon and how the Bible sees Babylon. Because like I said at the beginning, we have this idea, and people talk all the time about, you know, the world has never been this bad, the culture's never been this evil, and yet the Bible does not hold that belief. Okay? The Bible, when it talks about Babylon, it talks about it as the personification of evil. From Genesis all the way to Revelation to the end of human history, it sees Babylon as the worst of the worst. Okay? So if you take you know, everything that we read throughout Scripture, okay, every empire in Scripture from Rome, Sodom and Gomorrah, all the way to modern times of drug lords and Al-Qaeda, even Nazi Germany, the Bible says Babylon is beyond those when it comes to evil. Beyond, which is hard for us to even fathom. Okay? So when we look at our culture, the Bible says Babylon is beyond our culture when it comes to evil. And this is the culture that Daniel's in. This is the culture that him and his friends are handed over to by God. See, this matters because as we're going to walk through this book, when we go and say, hey, how do, I, how do I not only survive in a culture against God? Daniel shows us how we also thrive. And so in these three years, part of their preparation is to eat the food and drink the wine of the king. Now remember, Daniel and his friends are with a group of people from Judah who have been taken captive. So the food and the wine that they're, that they're to eat is what is also offered in sacrifices to the Babylonian gods. And so Daniel goes to the chief eunuch and makes a request. Now another part of this story is that historians believe that Daniel and his friends were, were also as part of their captivity made in the eunuchs. Because so there's no mention of Daniel having a family. And so part of what they're trying to do is to, is to not only destroy Judah, but to wipe out all family trees. And so Daniel goes to the chief eunuch and he says, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be giving vegetables to eat and water to drink, then examine our appearance and the appearance of the other young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. So Daniel goes to the chief eunuch. He doesn't go to the king. He goes to the chief eunuch who is put in charge of this group of prisoners. And he says, I don't want to defile myself by eating the king's food. So he makes a request. And the chief eunuch agrees to the test. But notice what Daniel doesn't do. Daniel doesn't demand. Daniel asks. And then he says, you examine the appearance. Now here's the funny thing. I'm sure the chief eunuch is standing there and be like, listen man, like, I I'm actually in charge of you. So like, it is actually my job to decide whether or not you eat this food. So Daniel in humility says, I'll put, you, put myself under, you decide. You decide. Right now, somewhere in your life, you have somebody over you that is telling you what to do or telling you what to believe or telling you what values to have, and you want to push up against them. And this is exactly where Daniel is. This is where exactly where Daniel and his friends are. 
And he says, in verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Notice, the king doesn't know. The king doesn't know. This is like all on the slide. King has no idea what's going on. Daniel doesn't make a big deal about it. And yet, in the hardest places, in the darkest moments, he's seeking to honor God. See, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that resilient disciples seek to honor God in the darkest moments of faith. Resilient disciples seek to honor God in the darkest moments of faith. In our darkest moments, one of our first go-to moves is often to give up. It's to go along with whatever's happening around us. Now, here's the thing that is incredible to me, is that Daniel and his friends, of all the things, okay, so let's recap. They're eunuchs, they've been taken as prisoners, they're spending three years learning the occult and all the values and education of Babylon, their names are changed. Of all the things to get mad about, they get mad about food. So here's kind of a heart check. And some of us, what we need to hear as we walk through Daniel is simply this. Not everything is a fight. Not everything in our culture, not everything that you face, not everything that gets thrown at you, not everything that happens in the school or happens in the government, not everything is a fight. Are there things that should be? Yeah, but not everything is a fight. One of our problems right now as followers of Jesus is that we think everything is a battle. And we've decided everything is is worth protesting. And then we wonder, why why does no one listen to us? Why do we have no influence anywhere? Now, here's the amazing thing, as we'll see later. Daniel doesn't lose his faith in this. Daniel spends three years being educated and yet holds on to his faith. Okay? And he doesn't have, I mean, so think about this for a moment. He doesn't have in the low, dark moments the option of being able to pull out his Bible app to, like, find a really encouraging verse with some cool artwork on it to, like, just hold to. They don't have scrolls. He doesn't have anything to take with him. He has everything that is in his head. That is it. So let me ask you this. Can you withstand for three years the onslaught against you? Parents, let me ask you this as you're thinking about how you disciple your kids. Are you training your kids in a way so that when they walk into high school and their first humanities course in college, that they will be able to withstand what gets thrown at them? Here's what I hear from parents all the time. We know I don't, I don't want to like force God down my kid's throat. I get it. But you make them do math homework when they don't want to. Like how many of you this past summer argued with your kids about the summer reading program? I mean, I did. No, you have to read. I don't want to read. Well, you have to read. I don't want to read. Well, you're still reading. And then what do we do when it comes to God? Well, you know, I'll just, like, I'll let my kids figure it out. Like, I'll let them kind of, like, 
when, you know, they'll kind of navigate it. And, and we just take a hands-off approach. And then when our kids get to high school and college and they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with God, we're like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Well, because we were active in everything else. We took them to every single sports camp and everything else and said, you know what, this is more important. Make sure you do all this stuff. And then we're like, well, you know, I don't, I don't understand why they don't follow after God. Like, this is a heart check for us as, as parents and grandparents. Okay? Because here's Daniel and his friends. They don't have any of the resources that we have, and yet, and yet, they go through everything that the Babylonian culture throws at them, and they still hold to their faith. And the scary thing is, is that so many of us, we have so much more going for us, so many more things at our fingertips, and we just let go. Which leads to the other group. For some of us, we need to hear that not everything is a fight, but for some of us, we need to hear that there are some things worth standing up for. See, some of us, we get really kind of nervous and, and we kind of step back and, and we look exactly like everybody around us and we don't stand up for anything and we don't hold tight to anything. And so while some of us need to hear not everything is a fight, some of us need to hear some things are. And some of us need to stop playing games and staying on the sidelines and pretending like we're Christians and decide if we actually are. Because Daniel and his friends, notice, the only thing that they felt like defiled them was the food. Not the teaching, not the occult, not the values, none of it, just, just the food. They said, we, we can't. And they chose the food. See, and some of us right now, we've chosen everything or we've chosen nothing. Now, I can't tell you, we talked in our teaching team this past week, you know, are there things that we're supposed to choose? Yes and no. Paul talks in the New Testament about how if you have a conviction about food, then hold to it. But if you don't, then don't. So there are things the Bible gives kind of this leeway of conviction. And this is part of, if you check the next step box, this is part of what we'll send to you this week is just how to walk through and navigate. What does it look like to hold to my convictions? What does it look like when I get really uncomfortable or don't like something? And, and are those the same? And the reality is, is your convictions and things that make you uncomfortable, they are not the same thing. They're often not the same thing. But yet we just go, well, this makes me uncomfortable, so that's gotta be a sin. Well, maybe not. And if it is, it may not be worth the battle. And so Daniel and his friends just said, hey, we want the food. We don't want to eat the food. So in your, in your world, what is the food? What's the thing you stand against? What is the thing that you plant your flag in? And know when you do it, you do it knowing that God is in control. Because look at what it says in verse 17. We see it again. Third time in 17 verses, God gave. In verse two, we're told that God gave them to the Babylonians. In verse nine, God gave Daniel favor with the chief eunuch. And in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill. Look at what it says in verse 17. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. 
Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to, the, to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them on, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Okay? Now, here's one of the things. It's very easy for us to just read this verse and go, well, you know, that's just what God did. But notice, Daniel took everything that they threw at him except the food. He read all the books, went to all the classes, graduated at the top of the class, and still held his faith. And still held his faith. Why? Because he knew God gave him to this king. I love what Pastor Larry Osborne, he says, God is in control of who is in control. This is one of the big themes of Daniel. God is in control of who is in control. Now, here's my question for you. The person in your life, whether it's a teacher, a boss, government, the one that you feel like who is pushing you out of your values, the one that you feel that is against everything that you stand for, do you believe that God is in control of that person? If, if we're honest, some of us go, you know, I, like in my head I do. But how much better would we sleep at night if we believed God is in control of who's in control? Now, notice that doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean that it goes the way we think it should go. That doesn't mean that the person who is in control does everything that God wants them to do. But Daniel, at the end of his life, looks back and he says, God gave, God gave, God gave. What if? God gave you the teachers that you have? What if God gave you the boss that you have and the coworkers that you have? God gave you the president that you have. God gave you the Supreme Court that you have. See, the, this gets, the moment we start to go, we're going, depending on where you stand on your aisle, like you're just like, I don't know. But that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is over them. The Bible teaches that God's not surprised when something happens. The Bible teaches that, that God will make a way through. And that way through may be that he pulls us out of the lion's den. And that way through may also mean that he lets us get eaten. And, that, and that's not easy. That way through may mean that you hold on to your job, and that way through may mean that you lose it. And, that, and that's not easy. But notice, I, I love how 
Daniel chapter one ends. I love the last verse of Daniel chapter one. It's so easy to miss. Daniel remained in Babylon until the first year of King Cyrus. Here's why I love this. Because Daniel lived into his 70s. He lasted through two kings. I love, as Daniel sits there as this old man, like I don't know if at this point in his life if he can't see, if, you know, I don't know if he's writing this down or if someone else is writing it down for him. I wonder if he just kind of sits back and he just thinks, man, I never thought I'd make it to today. I made it through two kings. See, some of us have this idea and need to be reminded that what you're facing this week will end. The thing that is standing against your faith right now and making it hard, it will end. It won't last forever. Now, I don't know when that will end. I don't know what's on the other side of that. But if you look back, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can look back. You can look back in your life. And you can see moments in your life where you thought, I, I had no idea how I'd get through that. Man, that just felt like that was the thing that was gonna like eat my lunch and I was just done. Like I had no idea how I got through that moment, how I got through that season, how I made it through that chapter. And yet you did. And so the thing that you're facing right now, the thing that you're walking through right now will end. I, I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says, you'll very likely overestimate what God wants to do in the short run but you'll grossly underestimate what God can do with a lifetime of faithfulness. See, if, if, if there's one thing that sums up Daniel for us, it's do not underestimate what God can do with a whole life. See, Daniel's gonna unpack in these chapters how he survived and thrived. And our hope in this series is for God to weed some things out for us to be more resilient and have a more resilient faith. And know that you can. Know that through the power of the Holy Spirit you can. And so as we close to take communion today, here's how I wanna set up communion. Last week, Chris talked about how one of the practices when it comes to communion is just examining our hearts. And some of us, um, we need to, maybe for you, you need to examine and kind of confess that you've made everything in your world a fight. You've made everything a hill to die on. But as I read through Daniel 1 and just really prepped for this, I, I was just reminded again what is the food in my world that I need to stand up to? And maybe for you, it's just, it's just saying, God, what, what is the thing? What's the thing? Where's the place that I can bring influence? Or maybe for you, you're in this place where you need to confess that, that you're, you've just kind of blended in with everybody else. You've just kind of gone along with every, everything else. And for you, it's standing for something. It's standing for something. 
See, when we take communion as a follower of Jesus, we're reminding ourselves that we are made new. We've reminded ourselves that no matter what we face, no matter how dark it gets, that new life comes out of, out of death. And so I wanna encourage you. The, the band's gonna lead us in a song that's gonna kind of be a theme that we're gonna sing through throughout this series of just standing, just standing. Because it's hard to stand. It's hard to stand for our faith. And so when you're ready, I wanna invite you to, to come down these aisles and, and, and get communion. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is just a moment for you to just do some just hard work of just where you stand with God. It's just a moment for you to engage and just ask, like, do I, do I believe that God is in control? Do I believe that God is over all things? Do I believe that God is there? Has this power? And when you're ready, you can come forward and take communion. When you get back to your seats, I want to encourage you, after you take it, to just stay standing as we sing together. I'll pray for us. So, Father, I thank you. thank you that you are not surprised by the things that we face in our world. You are not surprised by the things that we navigate in, in work, in culture, in education. Got to pray especially for our students. Got to pray that you would develop in them a heart after you that stands firm. God, that we would be a church that, that seeks to be resilient and in that doesn't shy away but also knows which things to fight. And so I pray you'd help us to have wisdom in that. That is not easy to do. It's easier to make everything a fight. And yet help us to know where to stand. Help us to know when to stand. 